Fleetwood. This is Kendall and Rosalia. How long have you lived in Memphis? This time or before? Well, elaborate. Um, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Went to a private school. So had like a very conservative upbringing. And then went to university outside of Memphis. And then after that, I moved to Thailand. So, <laughs> well, that's very interesting. Why did you pick Thailand? Um, okay, so I saved up enough money working in the restaurant industry at the town where I went to university and was ready to move to San Francisco. Like, my brother was living there at the time. And then a friend, like, sent me a Snapchat that was like, hey, why are you in San Francisco? And I'm like, I'm going to move here. And he said, why don't you just move to Thailand? So I asked my brother, who's like working in the tech industry, like super wealthy, successful, whatever, like, what do you think if I move to Thailand and become a yoga teacher? And he was like, I think you should do it. So I moved to Thailand. That was 2017. And I, no, that was 2016. No, 2017 was when I got on the first plane. And I didn't look back until this last year. So about a year ago, in two or three weeks will be my anniversary of returning back to Memphis and I haven't really told people that I'm here yet. It's like a huge secret. <laughs> For a year? For a year. Like <laughs> like the people in, in like the, the other cities like around the world like London, Mexico City they like they're still in my inbox like are you living in Miami? Where are you living? And I'm like we don't need to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. Um, yeah, I've actually been in Memphis for a year. Oh. Yeah, back in May was my year mark. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I lived here for a couple years. Yeah. I'm not from Memphis. Um, but then I moved to Boston and I came back. Yeah. I was like, I don't know where else to go right now. Yeah. What brought you back here? Oh, God. See, it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> She's like, am I interviewing you or are you interviewing me? Damn it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I moved to Boston with my ex-husband, and... That is a lot. Yeah, so we were dating at the time, mm -hmm. and, um, we got engaged during the pandemic, as you do, mm -hmm. um, and then we got married on my birthday in New Orleans, and then we were married for about a year. That's it. So, in that time, I was very miserable in Boston. I didn't enjoy, like, working there. I didn't enjoy the traffic, the weather, I mean, I was just, there was nothing that made me happy. Mm -hmm. And as much as I loved him, it was like, I need to go home. I need, I need the weather. I need my friends. Like, I'm just, I feel so lonely. And, um, the plan was is that I would go, I would go back to Memphis and he would move in with his parents temporarily. Who live in Memphis? In Boston. Oh, okay. Y'all yes. were still married. Yes. Okay. So he was going to stay with his parents and get things kind of like in order at work so that he could go remote. Mm. And then it just kind of like fell apart mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of different things. But mm -hmm. So we ended up getting divorced, like, and it was like final earlier this year and mm. it just sucks. Yeah, so that's why I came back to Memphis, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not from here, so yeah. I don't have to stay here, and yeah. I love I love all my friends and everybody, but I think, like, 
in a year or two, I'm going to get itchy. Yeah. I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> I think that's a very real thing. Um, especially when you come to a place under certain pretenses, you have to realize that, like, the thing that you came for is not here. And then you got to, when you choose yourself, like, when you go on that journey. So, to your point, I moved to Doha, Qatar. Where's for that? a man. Where's that? It's right next to Dubai. Okay. In the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> so I lived in Thailand. Then I moved to the Netherlands for a man after a year and a half. Um, and this would probably be the like mean potatoes of our chat today. Um, because then we're going to have a moment. <laughs> um... I moved to Doha and then, cause he ended up getting a job there. We both like wanted to come to either Beijing or Doha and his family was in like the similar, or he was in the similar work that my parents were. So they were helping us like find the next job for him. And we moved to Doha and then it end, he ended up being um, really abusive. And like as an American woman, I've got power in the Middle East, but as a Filipino woman, I don't have as much power as my European six foot tall male counterpart mm-hmm. so once everything like erupted it was time to go to the next place but I had to leave without him and it had to be like a I'm going on a visa run and then I just never came back <laughs> oh my god yeah so I went to Spain after that and then I uh then my brother was like hey what do you think about Mexico City and yeah and it like became like I, like, changed my name. I became, like, a career woman. Yeah. You and, changed your name? Well, I, my, my second name is Dawn, Rosalia Dawn, and everyone knows me as Dawn until 2018 when I moved to Mexico when I, it was easier for people to pronounce Rosalia, so I just told everyone my name is Rosalia, and it was like I wore a new hat, you know? Like, yeah. I just took off that hat, that former version of me, and then wore this new hat went into tech, started this, like, crazy, amazing business, um, which the, like, closing of the business, I shared in my stories yesterday, and it's, like, this huge realization that, like, everything that we built over the course of four years was over, so there's, like, a morning, actually, this is something that's quite interesting, which I'd be curious how you're moving through of the morning of the closing of the chapter without having that, like, sort of ritual or that, like, ceremony around it so like when I decided to leave the company I was living in Miami and then um never went back to my apartment in Mexico City and like earlier this year I moved out and like it was more or less just like a let me come grab my stuff and then I'll like return back to Memphis and I'll go back to my Miami and I'll do this and that but it wasn't until I read that article two days ago that my brother wrote that I was like oh I feel so many things. <laughs> yeah, it's not until it's like over and you're like, oh my god, I can't like, can't go back to it. Look at me. Yesterday we were <laughs> at the Apple store and like selling the Mac, iMac that my brother gave me. <laughs> oh my god. It's okay. It's okay. Like chapters, like transitioning chapters are always so big. But we traded it in for the new Mac Mini. Yeah. <laughs> and I was sitting there in the line, because there's a line because it's Hacks Free Weekend. Like, we're such consumerists. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And then I was like, I said it. I said the SAD word and I just started crying in the line. I was like, it's cool. We don't have to talk about it. But like, I want to know this feeling that you're moving through. And it's like, please know that my tears are me honoring your journey that like moving through chapters is tough. Yeah. I'm, I'm really struggling because I'm trying to stay hopeful that like I'm making better decisions <laughs> mm-hmm. and that I'm going to like serve myself at some point instead of like focusing on another person. Yeah. And trying to figure out who I am and what I want to do and like what decisions I'm going to make for myself. Just for me. Yeah. And that's tough because like you have to I don't know if you've done this yet. Have you done this? It's rather the better question. Like, grieved that version of you. Oh, I am currently still grieving because it's like... I had a very different um, life before this. I was like a stay-at-home wife, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just was so dissatisfied with myself. Mm. And it's like I felt like I had more potential, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And I feel like if I had stayed married, I never would have... I never would have done this. Mm. And I'm trying right now to do everything that I possibly can to, like, branch out, broaden, and and make different decisions for myself. And, I don't know, be independent and not have to depend on other people to to do anything because that's what it was before it was I was dependent on my ex-husband financially Mm -hmm. and um, all of my you know like greatest experiences in my life were because he and I were together and it's like I want to be able to do that for myself Mm -hmm. Um, you know like I they were great and I will always appreciate them but it's like there's satisfaction in knowing that you can do it for yourself Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's still really hard because I really loved him. Yeah. And I still love him now. Um, but it just wasn't, wasn't right. You know? Mm-hmm. Which really sucks. <laughs> and a lot of times... We were actually just talking about this last night, my partner and I. Like, a lot of times, relationships that work really well fall apart for, like, just circumstantial things. Mm -hmm. It's not because, like, the two people, like, had, like, a ton of conflict and, like, it became this big thing. It was just, like, I think we just need to carry on with our lives separately. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'll always love and honor you. But this is the part where I go on by myself. Mm-hmm. Have you found what you're looking for regarding, like, your people here in Memphis? Um, like, I'm, I, I guess I didn't really have expectations of that whenever I moved back. Because I had friends that I was, like, going to come back to. Mm. Like, I was friends with Jose and Rob. Oh, okay. Like, before I left. From the gym? Yeah. Cool. Because they were there in the very beginning, too. Cool. So, I already... I had people to come back to. Okay. But it has really, like, expanded a lot yeah. since I've been back. Yeah. Uh, the past year has been great because I've met so many wonderful people like you yeah. and Elijah. And 
I don't know. It's it's been way more than I anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it makes it really hard to like think about my next steps because I'm like, I don't like I'm gonna miss this so much. Yeah. If and when I decide to leave Memphis. I think that's a very real threat. I mean, for Shay and I, we he bought a house and then I came into his life and then he was like I shouldn't have bought this house and I was like yeah probably not (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) I also refused to get a job because I didn't want to like build my roots Mm -hmm. and I like slipped and fell into the climbing community and like I, I know what yoga is needed what type of yoga is needed for climbers. So that's how I like got involved teaching at, I started teaching first at Rocks and then here. And then they were like, oh, we've got this role. And this role turned into, oh, record this commercial with us. Oh, come to the river with us. And then like, it was like a slip and slide. Next thing we knew, like there's hundreds of people surrounding us and everyone's like, we should hang out. Let's do stuff outside of the gym. And I'm like, oh crap. This is not good. We're never going to leave. <laughs> like yesterday we were talking about a friend's child goes to Houston and it's like really great sports school. Like I grew up thinking that I should have gone to Houston and he was like, we're zoned for Houston. And I was like, who is we? <laughs> who, me? Yeah, I'm not having children go to Houston. And he's like, no, not us, not us. Whoever rents or buys our house. <laughs> Like, it's a Freudian slip. That's it. It was, because it's, it's tough once you have the people that you can rely on, that you can call, that you can see on the weekends. So, how long have you been, like, shall I say, like, within this group? Like, did you just move here to Tex Jose, and then he's like, oh, luckily for you, we're like a group of 30 plus people. (laughs) Do you want to hang out? It actually didn't really start until after I got back. So whenever, whenever I came back, I, I went to the gym oh. to, to like see everybody. You know, yeah. I knew what days people generally, 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 uh-huh. okay. generally. <laughs> go to the gym. Like Wednesdays and Fridays are kind of like the, the big days, yeah. especially Wednesdays, like midweek. Uh, when it's the busiest and when most people would be there. So I just showed up one day and they were like, oh my God, you're back. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, I was like, I haven't talked to anybody in, since I moved, mm-hmm. you know, and they were like, are you visiting or are you back? I'm like, I'm back, you know, mm. let's hang out. And I started climbing again. And then it, Jose, just like after we, the group me wasn't created until after I got back, okay. and that's kind of what kind of um, created the momentum. Yeah. yeah, adding people to it and mm-hmm. people being able to like form groups and New like stuff. yeah activities or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jose, he he was just like talk. He talks to everybody, and then he would start adding all of these new people to the group and just adding more and more people. He's so nice. Yeah. yeah, so it really expanded the friend group in the past year. How cool. Yeah, because, like, most of us weren't here or, like, weren't in the group mm. until, you know, past year. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, it's 
it's remarkable because I think then that affirms that everyone's sort of figuring out what the balance is between hanging out, climbing obsessively, and like just having friends. Mm-hmm. Like I've been thinking, so you're the second outside of Rob person who's come over here, and so we're going to Mexico next week, and part of it is showing Shay's family, like my home and stuff. But I we're going to the birthplace of Mezcal, and so I want to bring back a bottle of Mezcal and like for us all to hang out. But I swear to God, if someone's like, can we put on the World Cup? Or like, can we watch climbing? Can, it, can we put on a YouTube video? I'm going to be like, no! We're <laughs> going to sit by that fire, and we're going to drink mezcal, and we're going to have nice chats about what we do outside of the climbing gym. <laughs> anything else. Does anybody have anything else to talk about? Yeah, because it always turns back. Like, everybody wants to talk about that all the time. And, and that's what's been kind of uh, different about doing this podcast is like everybody's like rock climbers but we do get to have conversations that expand outside of that yeah so that's been nice yeah I think that's the thing that I like about running which again like is another form of like extreme endurance athleticism well the trail tripper runner I should running I should say the 10k as like a casual Sunday morning jog <laughs> Uh, yeah no literally they're like it's an easy run like it's not your race pace and I'm like what every run is a race pace because if I'm running I am running I I, I can do a mile (laughs) um shit what was I saying about trail tripping running oh that's a good thing about it is that like I met Elijah running and so we were running and he was telling me about like his background and everything and like out of the context of let's put our hands on rocks and like let's fall off of rocks and it's like oh you're so interesting I also low-key stalked him on Facebook before to try and figure out if Thornberry was his real last name (laughs) (laughs) this is not the first conversation not bad about this (laughs) and his Facebook name is Elijah Thornberry so I was like oh so the first thing I said to him was, is that your real last name? <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I mean, we all need a little identity change. And Elijah Thornberry is very fitting for him. I know. I know that identity change is necessary for sure. Because mm-hmm. I changed my, my name mm-hmm. legally. I actually just got my new driver's license. Did you? Yeah. Look, I gotta show you. I'm oh super excited gosh. about Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Look at that smile. She said, look. Wow, that's crazy. I know, it's so weird. But I feel like I'm really, I've like rebranded myself. You're a Virgo? Or well, Libra? Libra. My birthday September 9th. I have had other friends. So, do you know that like September birthdays are like the most common because Valentine's Day sex? January, New Year's. New Year's sex. Because they say, like, whatever you're doing New Year's Day, you're going to do for the rest of the year. (laughs) But, listen, my, my, uh, me and my sisters, my mom's birthday is in January. Uh Uh-huh. And my, uh, other sister's birthday is September 21st. Okay. Mine is September 24th. And I have another sister whose birthday is September 27th. Really? All three days apart. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We don't want to have, like we don't have to like dive any deeper into that, <laughs> but I think we know what that means. <laughs> that is so funny. 
My, I've got three brothers, and you have three sisters. I have three sisters and a brother. And a, oh, okay. So I've got three brothers, and my oldest brother, older brother, he's thirteen months older than me, and so he is August nineteen ninety three, and I'm September nineteen ninety four, and I used to always say that we were Irish twins because we always had. My parents, like, I guess they were trying to save money, but we always had our birthday parties together. <laughs> yeah, we did too, obviously, like, three days apart, you know, like, I'm six years older than uh, my uh, middle sister, and, you know, like, I was like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get out. These are my friends. Yeah. Like, stop hanging out with us. And it's like, I always had to, like, accommodate her being around. Yeah. You know. So you moved from Dyersburg to Boston. No. Um, so I moved from Dyersburg to Martin for college, oh, UT Martin. Yeah. And then I moved to Jackson for work. And then I moved to Memphis for work and a boyfriend mm. um, who's terrible. Mm. He's in my phone as Satan. Oh, well. Yeah. And then I moved to Boston mm-hmm. with my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. For my ex-husband, technically, he got a really good job, and his parents were there. And it was like, where in Boston were you living? It was um, the North Shore, Malden. Okay. Yeah. So quite suburban. Well, I mean, it's like it was an apartment complex right off the interstate. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, like further back maybe, mm-hmm. but not where we lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I moved back from Boston to here. Okay. So you had a lot of, like, small-town Tennessee experiences. Right, yeah. I've moved around a lot and, and everything, but it's just, like, to it's not really that different. So where do you want to go after here? Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Um, it just, like, I vibe with it. Yeah. You know, it's it's um, it's um very, like, old southern. I, I do love the south. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has its problems, yes, but mm-hmm. I like the southern culture mm-hmm. and the accents mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i love like you know the cicadas and and the uh, what is it the, the moss mm, the spanish moss yeah the spanish moss and, and all that and savannah is such a beautiful city and it's savannah is such a place where you sit on the rocking chair like with your coffee in the morning and you like take like three hours yeah before you do anything serious it's so beautiful and it's there's lots of walking it's like 20 30 minutes from the ocean mm-hmm. so it just has all of these things and the food is amazing mm-hmm. oh my god mm-hmm. it's just it's it, it's just too beautiful and i've been there a few times and it just i've uh, it, it's always calling me back I love cities like that, mm-hmm. and like I love New Orleans too. But New Orleans is like a big tourist attraction, and it's like got too much, too many issues mm-hmm. and crime. Mm-hmm. But Savannah is like it's kind of surrounded by like swamplands, mm-hmm. so you have to be on the way to Savannah to get there. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't just like go through it to get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a little hidden gem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really nice. I I was there briefly for a guy. Uh, <laughs> it's funny how we do that. I know, right? <laughs> I've only exclusively moved places for men. Uh, <laughs> it's true, that's how I got here. Um, between Spain and Mexico City. Like, how funny is that? My stopping point was 
Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, right. With a guy from my university, and I thought it was such a cute place. It is. It's so cute. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, I was like wearing a flannel and like little slippers, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I. It's like every time I think about it, I'm like, this is exactly what I imagined for my life. I want one of those houses in the square, mm. and the only way I'm gonna do that is if I become a millionaire. Okay. You know, so I've really got to get my shit together. Hey, her. <laughs> Um, with Jay and like his flying job he has only certain places he can technically live so like if I had it my way we would be in Bali Um, but or or back in Mexico I mean keep it close whatever but they've got a little quite a bit of flying out of Hawaii so now that I'm involved in the climbing gym and like studying climbing gym concepts and stuff, my dream, so I mentioned to you about my nonprofit, but my dream is to create a yoga retreat center. And that's always been my goal since like leaving my last job. That was like where my life was headed. Um, and so now we're like, okay, we're going to buy a hangar in Hawaii, make it a climbing gym. And it's also going to be a yoga retreat center. <laughs> and it's also going to be a plain landing strip. <laughs> it's multi-purpose. Multi-purpose. <laughs> and the yoga studio will have, like, excellent sound reduction. Like, you won't hear the airplanes flying over your head. <laughs> I don't know what kind of sound reduction that's going like, yeah, to... It's not real. Everyone needs to, like, be wearing earplugs and headphones. Yeah. But, um, as you said... We'll have to become millionaires first. I know. Yeah, so it's exhausting. we can turn around and sell this house for like 10x the price. Yeah. <laughs> <Pack> dreams. <laughs> I know. I've been trying to like sell random things in my house just to have like a little extra money. Mm-hmm. And I keep getting like weird spammy scam yeah. stuff on like Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. Uh, I tried to sell my Peloton and almost got scammed twice. Really? Yes. I was like, forget it. I'll just take it down. Yeah. So. You brought it back from Boston or you bought it recently? I brought it back from Boston. It was a pandemic purchase because you couldn't go to the gym. Mm-hmm. It, gyms were like the last thing to open up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We haven't, we love our Peloton, but we haven't used ours since we've been at the climbing gym because there's just so much to do. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't find, and I think that's definitely a thing as well as like what's the balance between like all the different forms of sport that we do. So like cycling is really big for us and Shay does races so he really likes it and then we got into running and then we got into climbing and then my yoga has like encompassed all of those things and now we're like we also miss lifting like we miss doing all the things and then on top of that it's like where is the free time to do non-athletic stuff exactly <laughs> yeah I know I I whenever my dog died I stopped working out completely because when did that happen January Th- of this year yeah you already had Lilith or you? No, she, my mom brought her home like a week later. Oh. My aunt had the puppies and she, she was like, my mom, she's like trying to help me feel better. And I like had her for a couple of days and then I was like, this is way too much work for what I'm capable of right now. Yeah. Because I was just like, I'm barely functioning. Yeah. Um, I was not taking care of myself and I was like. That was in January, mm-hmm. so like it all happened in January. Yes. Mm. I was getting divorced. My dog died, and I was like, I was like, I can get through anything as long as I have my dog. Mm-hmm. And then she fucking died. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like a part of myself is lost with her. Like, mm. it, she was 
so you really have like literally grieved it's not like a energetic metaphysical concept of grieving Mm -hmm. um you've gone through the process of experiencing the loss like on such a deep level and turn the chapter yeah and uh, many times in my life um i'd say this is probably the worst one Mm. yeah and and so i just started going back to the gym yeah like a couple weeks ago oh really yeah so i mean I've, i've climbed a handful of times in in since january but not important for you right yeah Yeah. i I, my lifting was always my thing like beforehand and uh, i was like i gotta get back into that it's what i enjoy and it like it's that kind of exercise that i'm comfortable with Mm -hmm. so so my nonprofit that i haven't told you about yet yes that i mentioned briefly it's called Root to Rise. Mm-hmm. And what we do, or what we did back in Mexico, and I'm trying to figure out how it fits into this concept, into the concept of like the American way of life, is that we advocate for the survivors of de- domestic violence. So, more specifically, what was resonant amongst my community is having a really like traumatic experience within a relationship. And then finding ourselves on the mat or through wellness. So, uh, and then rising from that place, root to rise. Mm -hmm. So, what we ended up doing in like the sort of MVP, like testing phase of the concept was like creating accessibility to wellness because like, you know, Peloton, for example, is like a very high-end, expensive way to like get fit, mm-hmm. and not everyone has access to it. Um, so, we were creating like resources for people to have access to, like a free library, or they could donate if they wanted to to help give more accessibility to more people. Um, and we found that there was so much community, even just in Mexico City, the expat women who were there. Um, of people who needed that space to just say like I've been through a thing and it never had to look exactly like hands on a person it could look like kind of this uh, the the whole situation with Jonah Hill is very interesting have you read up on that no but it's very essentially his girlfriend um, or his ex-girlfriend has like come onto Instagram and say like you know he emotionally abused me and like in that Amber Heard Johnny Depp world abuse is now like being flipped on its head of like there's like a victimhood that um quote-unquote women might be taking which is um ruining uh a lot of people's lives because it's like you know he ruined my life and now I'm strong and all the like boss babes are like hell yeah girlfriend and like I think all those things like have a time and place but I'm still trying to like so that's another thing that I'm trying to figure out is like what is the balance between like being a survivor of anything mm-hmm. you know any form of grief any form of pain or trauma um even for me um 
what I experienced at my old company was like an extreme level of burnout that put me on antidepressants. Like that in and of itself is still trauma. It's workplace trauma. That's why it took me a year to go back to work because I was like, <laughs> hell no. Yeah. Um, I'm protecting me, but uh, that space for like women to come together and just like be honored in movement first and then community second. And I think that's why like, you know, especially with the gym being so masculine dominated is like, of course we're not having like, you know, soft, gentle, feminine, flowy conversations because it's all led by men and I'm not anti-man, but I am trying to understand how to be a feminist where I think all these men are feminists. Um, but there's, but they're on the edge of like, we're all equal and not acknowledging that there are people who want something different or who might need, you know, the space to talk, which I think is actually quite fabulous. I'm going on a tangent, but to close it all, I think it's really fabulous what you're doing because you're creating space to talk about other things, you know, in a private setting that may, that's not technically led by a man. You know, not technically, crazy. I'm technically not a man. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, I, I mean, know. you can have like someone on there who's gonna run with the conversation. That happens, but it's still your place. It's still your space that you've created. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is like I want to, I like highlight individuality. Mm. I, I really like. Mm. It's it's like everybody thinks I'm not very interesting and I don't know what to talk about and I have oh, that, about themselves yeah like I, I ask people like, to be on the podcast and and they're like I don't know what to talk about and it's like my life's not it, my, I'm really boring it's like it's it's not about being interesting it's about being a human being mm, I love that you know I was like I I just want to sit and talk and like get to know you and and I want other people to hear you know like the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. What do you define the human experience as? I think it's undefinable. Because it's so varied. And everybody has different um, life experiences and, and perspectives and opinions and, you know, journeys and this and that. I mean, there's lots of people who have lived through similar, you know, things in their life sure you know like trauma and happiness and you know grief and whatever we all experience those things but in different ways mm. so I mean there's all of this familiarity but um, uniqueness still so I think that like being a human is just it's undefinable because everything goes mm. I think that's interesting I think everything I think in communicating everything goes, there is space to come as you are, which is a lot of like what a yoga, t yoga studio will have like over its entrance when you walk in the door. Um, but like how that's actually executed is usually where people are lost. Mm -hmm. Because you walk into a yoga studio and they're like, come as you are, but it's white women with like, nice butts and abs and they're all like in their fancy lululemon you know mm -hmm. and so um 
I say this because I think it's really difficult to uh, create a service product or offering that is, you are welcome here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you are. Yeah. There's, it seems like no matter what, there's always, like, somebody left out. Mm. You know? Like, you try to, like, create this space for as many people as possible, but then it gets lost somewhere. And I think that's also really interesting because it's, like, knowing your audience. So, like, from a business perspective, you must always know your audience. And, like, what I'm trying to understand in the context of Memphis, Tennessee in the context of the climbing gym that has locations in other cities is how much can we say that climbing is for everybody? Because we have people who are upset about Pride Day. We have people who are upset about Juneteenth. In a city like Memphis, being upset about Juneteenth Where civil rights like started and ended here. Yeah. Like, of all places to, like, get on on that soapbox. So people find these spaces where they think they're safe. And in turn, create an unsafe space for others. (laughs) Okay, we're not laughing at what she's saying. I know. She just tried to put down the cup as silently as possible. (laughs) <laughs> um, to uh, make sure that everybody knows we're not laughing about the conversation. <laughs> well, and I'd like to know, like, as you start to develop your podcast and, you know, what your offering is, like, how you define who your audience is. Because right now, it's still very much us. Mm-hmm. But with, like, your commitment to your consistency and developing what you do and adding professionalism to your editing and your technology you'll find out who are the people who are super excited to press play every, what is it, Thursday, Friday? Friday. (laughs) Fleetwood Friday. Oh, that's cool. I love that. But you'll find that your audience, unfortunately, can't be everyone. It's kind of like what you mentioned about Call Her Daddy. It reminded me of, like, the early days when, like, the drums was happening. But, like, before they separated they were always like yeah we used to have threesomes with each other and like we would all listen to it because it was like it was so shocking (laughs) it's like everybody listened with like just oh my god the entire time like what did they call it the gluck gluck 9000 yes (laughs) i was like come on i was like whoa they're actually talking about this yeah and now alex cooper is this like mega influencer who like consistently provides something that's valuable to everyone. Right. And I was like, that's why I kind of, I look up to her um, from a podcast standpoint. I mean, mm. I I have only listened to a few episodes of the early days because that just does not resonate with me. Mm. It's not my thing. I mean, like, it's shocking and it's funny sometimes, but it's, I'm just over that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm here for the more real conversations. Yeah. yeah. The early 2010s were a weird time, though, for sure. Yeah. Like, we were all sort of, like, breaking out of, or at least I'll speak for myself, I was breaking out of, like, my post-conservatism way that I had, like, I was in a sorority. Mm-hmm. I was in, yeah, mm. big cringe. <laughs> I paid for my friends. Um, and then they were like, oh, we like, don't really like you. Um, when I left 
And then they like stop being my friend. Yeah, yeah. I I know exactly about that. A friend of mine uh, was in a sorority and she got in trouble, like legally. Uh-huh. And they were like, "We want all of your shirts. We uh-huh. want all of your pins." And none of them spoke to her anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I t- was like, I've been told you. Mm, yeah. Consider me. Consider it a very, very, very expensive mistake. Mm-hmm. But I was learning. I was like deprogramming that I don't need to have letters across my chest in order to have friends. In order to be like a part of something. Mm-hmm. So community building is like such an interesting. It evolves and grows alongside us, but we also evolve our conversations to match that. So, uh, I was actually, so we had a meetup group on Facebook and it, and it had like 600 people for Root to Rise and it was really cool because I felt like it came from a lot of mostly expats looking to find yoga but then more people understood what our actual mission was, and then they were like, hell yeah, I'll be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But it also had to evolve at some point, you know? And we had to start having these more difficult conversations. And in Latin America specifically, uh, the concept about around violence against women is quite taboo still. Um, even though there's a podcast called The Women of Juarez, if you listen to it sometime, it's essentially about women who is a journalistic perspective, but women in Ciudad de Juarez, which is right on the border at the south of Texas, and like domestic workers go missing all the time. And it's kind of like covered up by the cartels and by um, the police. Mm-hmm. And those journalists were doing like the Lord's work because it's like incredibly dangerous to go down there and start talking about it. Um, but if you're someone who like empathizes with those women, then you might be too extremist for some communities. So the modern, like, Mexico City was very open and honest about how to trust, how to teach, uh, treat people, excuse me, but there was still the essence that, like, men can own women, depending on in the communities where you are. Yeah. So, and then there's, like, a bigger problem of, like, the migration, um issue to the United States and like Honduran or Ecuadorian women will be passing through Mexico and then they'll and they'll suffer like a significant amount of violence and then they'll enter into the United States border and either be like welcomed in but their child is taken away from them or they might have like some form of uh corruption where like somebody promises that they'll get them in the border but they're going to keep their child so that they can bring, like, drugs over the border. So there's, like, a whole lot of violence. There's a whole lot of, (coughs) excuse me, violence against women (coughs) that needs to be talked about. And for me, that's where I was like, okay, this is very serious, and I don't know how to take this deeper. And then that's when, like, everything with my company sort of caused a riff, and I came to Miami, which is, like, where a lot of people are ending up on the shores. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that point was when I kind of like stopped working on Root to Rise because I need to rediscover, redefine what Root to Rise is mm-hmm. because as much as I would love to do like civil work and work with survivors who have like crossed and moved mountains per se, um, I simply do not have the resources 
to be able to do what I want to do. And so, like, you know, coming to Memphis was, like, a very convenient and sweet way for me to enter into, like, my safe little white picket fence and, like, not worry about things. And, like, I can see that there are different types of imbalances here. And one of them is the socioeconomic imbalance mm-hmm. and the racial imbalance. I mean... There's a high school down the street that's 94% African-American. Yeah. But this neighborhood is not 94% African-American. And so it's like, why are we not, like, if we're going to do work with children, an example, is why are we not making certain things more accessible for them? And I think that's, like, a really difficult conversation I've been struggling to have with the gym is, like, these people, like, everyone, if we are going to say climbing is for everyone everyone deserves the right to climb even if you think because of the word that's across their chest the city that they're representing in their high school is a wealthy neighborhood it's like let's sit down and do some research mm-hmm. let's understand like what is the socioeconomic um background of certain individuals because the school system's kind of fucked up and like um the way that people can just like i'd be interesting to hear your thoughts over the last year but the way that people can, like, kind of cover their eyes, like, keep the wool over their eyes, mm-hmm. um, especially as we move into a new presidential election, is, like, why are we still in 2016? You know? Yeah. Why hasn't anything progressed in, in this long? Um, yeah. Memphis is a special case, I think, of a lot of huge issues that you see elsewhere, but it is a exaggerated example uh, because it's so diverse Mm -hmm. but you go to parts of Memphis and everybody's white Mm. and it's like why is everybody here white Mm -hmm. when everything else and High Point is a good example of that Mm -hmm. because before Will was the manager there were no black people there Mm-hmm. Nobody worked there. Nobody climbed there. They were all at Memphis Rocks, which is like understandable because it, the neighborhood that it's in is mostly black. Yeah. So that makes sense. Right. But ours is located right, you know, like close to Germantown and Cordova and like all of these neighborhoods. So regarding the gym and bringing diversity in. It's also really interesting because I've tried so hard, like the other gyms are doing a great job of creating safety for um, the LGBTQIA community. Mm -hmm. And we have like literally one rainbow wall and like parents are like, can we please take that down? It's like, it's a rainbow. (laughs) Do your kids really like... A, they probably don't know, but if they do know, we're not telling them anything new. Right. If they use the internet, it's a lost cause. And that's what I was, like, thinking is, regarding, like, where I went to school, for example, like, there's an approach to, if if we don't talk about it within these walls, it doesn't exist. And that's the safety that people are willing to pay a premium for. Mm-hmm. is the safety of not having to explain to their children that there are gay people, there are people of color, <laughs> there are poor people. It's kind of like the journey of the Buddha and Buddhism. Like, he was a prince who had everything he wanted, and then he needed to, like, get past the walls of his castle 
And once he did, he found old age, sickness, and poverty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, you don't become a better person by just ignoring the fact that the world is not the way that you might think it is. Right. Or yeah. that somebody else wants to create for you. Mm-hmm. It's very, they're sheltering reality. Reality, It's yeah. like, well, that, I mean, you know, I can understand, like, at certain ages, kids don't need to know about that stuff. They can't even comprehend it. But Do you think? I don't think so. I, You know, like, trying to explain to a five-year-old that they are, are poor people... Well, and I think that's why it's important to normalize it. An example is, like, probably, like, more in the city in Boston, but, like, you'll walk down the street and you'll see a homeless person. Oh, yeah. Well, I see them every single day. Mm. Every single day. Because I live in High Point Terrace, Mm -hmm. which is, like, right off of Highland, which is right next to Sam Cooper and Summer. Mm. And Summer is, like, close to uh, Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And that that's all an impoverished, like, crime-ridden area. And there's uh, homeless people that sit right at the exit mm-hmm. to get off of Sam Cooper and to take Highland. And they have, like, they have a system. There's a group of homeless people, and they, they rotate out who sits and waits. For? Like, they'll sit with a sign to take, like, oh, money yeah. and food and whatever... Yeah. And they switch out. Yeah. So you'll see certain people on certain days. Well, there there's an economy there. But on top of that, okay, so back to the point. I'm, I feel like I'm just shit-talking Germantown. Like, I grew up wishing I could live in Germantown. And here I am, and I'm like, I hate it here. Um, <laughs> you know how we haven't had water for, like, the last week and a half? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to the this girl from POA about that. And there was a 100-gallon leak. Mm-hmm. Of diesel fuel. Now, 100 gallons worth of diesel fuel, that's not a leak. That's like a full spill. Yeah, I actually know uh, exactly what happened. What happened? They had, like, a generator. Whenever the storm took out the power, they had a generator. Mm -hmm. And the generator was leaking Mm -hmm. diesel fuel into this, like, small area. And they couldn't find it for days. (laughs) And so, it leaked but I will call it spilled into 4.2 million gallons of water. So it's a tiny amount, but like you think of like Pickwick and the amount of like diesel that or gas or just oils and grease that's in Pickwick as barges move through. Um, we're, we're drinking gas in some way or another, especially when it's like a tiny amount. Yeah, this is a disgusting world that we live in. Oh, I got so much to share on this, though. Wait, hold on, pause. I was yeah. just going to say that we were donated bottles of water because, like, all the white women of Germantown were like, we're suffering. Like, I can't go to Germantown. Like, the, the Kroger. And so they, like, pull up in their Cadillacs to go pick up bottles of water. We had an overabundance of water. So before it was a maximum of one case of water to where yesterday they sent out a notification that was, we have too much water. Everyone needs to take a minimum of two cases. And you know these Germantown people were like, okay, done. Bring it to a homeless shelter. Yeah. Give it to people who don't have drinkable water. There's so many people around Memphis that need Need water. Need water. I can drink from my sink now. Yeah. I can just turn on that tap. Like, that is a privilege. And to say, like, sorry, we've got too much. Like, take a minimum of two cases. That's, like, a ton of plastic that we don't need. Mm -hmm. And it's a ton of drinking water that we don't need that can go to people who need it. Anyways, okay, go on. Okay, so I met with a girl that works with uh, 
protect our aquifer. Oh yeah. So we the aquifer is huge. It's and it, it's the amount of water is unimaginable because it spans through a bunch of different states. And what's happening in Memphis is we have these big industries that are pumping the water out. So TVA and MLGW and all of that like they're MLGW sells water cheaper to industries than to people. So the more water you use, the cheaper it gets. It's mm. like wholesale water. Mm. And there's, um, I think it's the TVA. They are using our drinking water to cool down their the machines in, in the, I don't know exactly what they are, but they're using it to cool it down. And the alternative, they could be pumped. There's like a wastewater facility next door to them. And all they would have to do is take that water and pump it over there mm-hmm. and use it there. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're taking the cheaper option, which is our drinking water, and pumping that all day. So what's happening to the aquifer is there's like these breaches in the clay layer that filters our water. Mm. And there, so it's like little holes everywhere. And mm-hmm. so there's this like top layer of water mm-hmm. that's contaminated and they're pulling this water up so fast that it's pulling contamination through those holes and into our drinking water. Oh. Yeah. So there's, there's uh, like pesticides and mm-hmm. like all of these things on top of the surface mm-hmm. and it seeps into the dirt and into like this shallow aquifer, but there's another clay layer and then our aquifer. Mm-hmm. And and so it's getting contaminated, basically. All right. They're ruining our water. Why is it happening? It's happening because we're using the drinking water for the cooling of the TVA, whatever they yeah, need. Yeah, there's other industries that I can't remember the names of, but basically. Said, instead of pulling the water from the top, we're pulling the water from the bottom. So it's like an uneven balance. Um. No, it's so what they, they've... You can have like a well here. So mm-hmm. basically they can pump as much water as they want. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a fee, mm-hmm. a yearly fee. Mm-hmm. And so you don't actually know how much water they're actually using. They have to like estimate depending mm-hmm. on how much wastewater they have. Mm-hmm. But they're sucking it out at such, so much at a time that it's like creating like this pull down mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. So it's pulling it so fast out of the aquifer that it's pulling the other stuff down into the aquifer. You should have like a support protector aquifer link in the description. I know. I I didn't know this until Wednesday. And I was like, yeah, I just found out about this and I was like, you're kidding. Like Mm -hmm. everything, everybody talks about Memphis. It's like, at least we have great water. And it's like, now we find out that because of the way that our, our, like MLGW does this, like they make it, cheaper for industries to do this to our water supply well and that's the whole concept of sustainability right why sustainability doesn't work environmental sustainability is because yeah you using one less plastic bag is going to do something maybe just for your like personal ego but it is like the top five largest corporations in the world who are effectively killing our environment Mm -hmm. and And there's nothing we can do about that the only thing we can do is to lobby harder and I think that's where like 
again, if we want to talk about like the separation of church and state, like so many people, especially in this area, are so willing to just ignore policy as a whole, mostly because they're like, well, I'm a Christian, so that's like good enough for the work that I do and like for my life. But uh, once they figure out, or so um, like with our hundred plus degree weather like I mean how many summers in a row do we need to have the hottest summer that we've ever had and how many winters in a row do we need to have the hottest winter that we've ever had for people to acknowledge that climate change is real right yeah and it's <laughs> I had like this realization that it's going to get hotter and hotter and yes. hotter to the point where we can't live on the surface anymore and we're going to have to move underground I mean yes but <laughs> that's why the like earth ship the earth ship houses are like a real thing and people think yeah. that they're insane because they like use water four times before like it gets dumped um and then they like have their own like self-sustaining gardens have you seen it oh yeah yeah okay and um but to your point like this summer oh my god one of the first podcasts i listened to from you was the one about coming home from the river and like we have never seen so many thunderstorms and huge windstorms that have just taken out mm-hmm. like trees. I mean, Germantown's been like ripped to shreds. But the fact that like all these people are like, but I mean, like, I'm not gonna vote to do anything about climate change. That's insane. That's like, pfft, that's too much for me. Yeah. But meanwhile, like, we had a giant tree, that one. Um, behind you, like half of it fell down into that neighbor's yard, and they were so mad at us. It's like, what did we do? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, the environment did this to your house. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm. I mean, people are just getting wrecked. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hit. your mom's, your parents' neighbor's house okay? Um. Yeah. So nobody's. Luckily, nobody on their street like the trees didn't fall on their houses it mm-hmm. just blocked their their road oh, okay. so whenever I pulled up like the power lines were down in this huge trees and I was like oh my god my parents are dead mm-hmm. and it was like such a traumatizing moment because I was like I'm orphaned mm-hmm. and then I'm like running down the street running over power lines and I come around this big tree and I see them and I'm like and I just start bawling mm-hmm. my mom was like Oh, honey, because she it took her a second. She's like, "Why are you crying?" And she's like, "Oh, I get it. Okay, I'm. Oh no, we're okay." <laughs> she like it took her a second. She's like, "Oh my god, you thought we were dead." Oh, um, wait, where do your parents live? Oakland, like in the middle of nowhere. So they came to Memphis, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, most of my life they were in Dyersburg, yeah. and then it was only in the past like year or two that they moved to Memphis, but they live like far out. So that's why you guys wanted to come back? No. Oh, you guys no. wanted to come back for separate things. Yeah, so, you know, married, and the thing was like, let's move back home to where it's familiar. Um, and like where all of the friends are and buy a house and have kids. And then I had some, um, like tests done that had weird results. And there was like this conversation that I would have, I might have trouble getting pregnant and that would mean like IVF and all that stuff. And I kind of spiraled. I am bipolar and I was unmedicated at the time. So I believe that it was like a manic episode mm. um, that kind of fueled my spiral and uh, made me make decisions that mm. have 
epically changed my life in ways that I'm not really happy about. Uh, but that was kind of one of the things that triggered it. Mm-hmm. And because I had, like, this idea in my head is, like, I'm going to be the wife and the mother. And, you know, like, this is going to be, like, my purpose in life. And, and, and then it felt like that was just, like, kind of shattered. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I'm not going to do all of those shots. And I'm not. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, the, the danger involved with pregnancy and birth yeah. and all of that. Because, like, I'm already, like, I have high blood pressure. So there's a higher risk of, like, complications and things like that. And, and I was like, and I'm, I feel like I'm too selfish to sacrifice my body. Mm. You know what I mean? Do you still want kids? Uh, no. Uh, now, I mean, especially now that I'm single. Yeah. I wouldn't want to um, have kids with anybody that I'm not married to. Yeah. And I don't see myself getting married again. Mm. I mean, I don't know if that'll change in 10 years or whatever. Sure. But right now, this me, this version of myself, is like, no husband, no kids. Yeah. (laughs) To your point, there is a huge conversation in the sustainability world. Um, I wasn't married, but I used to be engaged. And Mm -hmm. I was engaged to a... Um, international politician for sustainability but one of the largest um, arguments against child birth is environmental sustainability Mm -hmm. because children are the worst thing that can happen to this planet however there's like the other argument that like children could also be one of the better things to come Mm -hmm. for this planet so Patagonia actually had a post um, like the last two days or something, like very, very recent about um, their approach to saying you are welcome here, like as a child. Like uh, it's like telling the child, like I want you, this world needs you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, hold on. That's a totally new conversation. Um, but I'm similar like you where it's like if it's not – for me, it's not for me, and I think I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how old are you? 29. I'll be 30 in September. Okay. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're at a, we are at a time in our life, I'm turning 29. So we are at a time in our life where it's okay to be selfish. And I think that's what we're doing differently. Um, okay, it says... Climate and sustainability journalist Yesenia Funes prized open a significant question of our time. Is it responsible to have children amidst the climate crisis? In a personal account of the balance between fear and hope, we get a letter to the future and to the child. Funes hopes is in her, in it, her bebito. Will climate change, and in Funes's case, generational hardship, stop babies from being born? Or is the prospect of love stronger than our suffering? Um, and I think to her point, and I'm curious how you feel about this, but to her point about generational hardship, which I think is a very real thing for me Mm -hmm. as well, and I've said this to Shay a lot as well, is that like, I cannot stop here. I'm not going to like make a point to have children, but the work that I have done to unravel the generational trauma of the Filipino women who came before me, can't stop here because there are still Filipino women who think you know I need to submit to my husband and like I can't do things for myself and 
maybe even as far as like I need to marry a white man because of the colon colonization that we've experienced so we have like very real conversations as well about like if children are a responsible reason for it or, or a responsible thing for us but also um <laughs> thinking of like a legacy that we could leave beyond us yeah I mean if see you think of all of those like think of those families that got like 12 kids yeah and they're all running around barefoot in dirty clothes and there's not enough food to go around yeah. and it's like do you really want to create that kind of environment like if you're struggling financially right do you really want another expense and then another mouth to feed and another responsibility That's and that. and it's like what if you are stuck in this this cycle of poverty forever right and it's like if you don't take the initiative to take a step back from that and get your stuff together and try to get out of that I mean it'll just continue on and on and on that's interesting because like that's definitely a intention especially for Root to Rise or like for me as a yoga teacher is to like encourage people to become more inherently well because I don't claim to be like the one who knows it all or like I'm going to fix your physical, emotional, spiritual issues. But I do want to be a beacon that taking care of yourself first can pay off in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, like if you are in a place where like being sustained is as an individual is incredibly difficult. And there is no reason to bring another child, a future adult, into this world to also suffer those same struggles. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I really don't like about Memphis is, like, when we're talking about, like, generational truths, is, like, there's generational wealth, which is here, you mm -hmm. know, like, this house... Um, once the previous owner passed and, like, the children sold the house, that house across the way, the owner passed, and now they're selling the house. Like, everyone in this neighborhood's passing in their houses that are, like, 400 grand, 400,000 grand, and they're selling. Um, and so it's money that gets passed on to the next generation, but, like, I didn't grow up with that kind of money. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we couldn't sell a house and then suddenly, like, we were set for um, a period of time I don't have like an inheritance or anything, but mm -hmm. um, so I can relate to individuals who don't have it, but then I'm also like, I want to build that out. Like I want to create space. When, and so I think that's why it's important to vote with your dollars, but also to vote. Mm -hmm. Just at all. <laughs> at, at, at all. And I yeah. think like it's, it's hard here because like in this state, in this county, it is so freaking red to death mm -hmm. to protect the wealth that exist but to not spread the wealth to mm -hmm. people who could use the extra case of bottle of water well here's another issue that just occurred to me it's like if if we as people that are not rich don't have children and all of the rich people keep having children then it's just going to be rich people yeah with generational wealth and it's going to get more and more and more. There's going to be less and less. Yeah. Oh, I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Okay, so I have this, like, fascination with, um, what is, is there a word? The hive mind. Mm-hmm. 
and because there's not a lot of diversity here in experiences but also like in visual appearance and there's like you've probably seen like the meme of like the basic white girl starter pack and it's like a hair clip and uh lululemon and the like bag going across their chests and the stanley cup <laughs> and the like mercedes-benz keys and the louis vuitton mm-hmm. you know and the hive mind for the basic white girl starter pack exists because it's and it's like a way to portray that you are wealthy mm-hmm. it's a way to portray that like aesthetic vibes are how you spend your day you know like tiktok has been like a crazy thing for us it's like get ready with me until like these girls are like unrealistically setting up their phones and then like mm, waking up in the morning at 5 30 a.m sure <laughs> yeah you know and like they're like ever pushing the covers back i don't know i know uh-uh. and i love the ones that are like making fun of it because it's like uh when i think that my life is a movie so it's like the same scene and it's like and like it's all about like this thinking that like uh, a certain way or a certain state of being is better than another person Mm -hmm. and I think you know the reason why I asked you about like what do you define the human experiences is that it's so fucking befuddled right now we have no clarity on what a real human is and to reach all the way out to outer space like because this is happening right now in legislation with the actors and the writers strikes is like ai and machine learning is taking our jobs Mm -hmm. as people well see that's the thing that's that's one of the if we have robots and ai do everything for us we don't have to work. No, and we're not going to. And, and that's the thing. It's like, we could just make programs that do all of our jobs. And we are. And it's like Amazon, Google, Meta. Exactly. But we still have like this traditional conservative idea that human beings have to go into work 40 hours a week and bust their ass on a computer to do a job that a robot could do. Well, I think it's like multifaceted. Because machine learning is, oh, that's why, because it's exactly now. Machine learning is uh, definitely taking over how we advertise and how we create. Have you seen the Black Mirror episode, the first, the last season, the most recent season, new first episode? Okay, go home and watch it. Because I watched it and I was like, this is crazy. And then I realized that it's like really what they're talking about at the White House, which is insane. And it's essentially like a person like lives a very normal day. Then she goes home to her normal fiance, sits down, opens up Netflix. It's called Streamberry, but it looks exactly like the Netflix UX. And then she clicks the first show, which is like, my name's Rosalia. So it's like, I am Rosalia. And, like, it's a person playing me and then plays the first episode and it's, like, all my life that day. So she's, like, in therapy, like, talking about how, like, bland her fiancé is. Like, to the point of, like, he only uses, like, he might use, like, salt and pepper when he's cooking. (laughs) Also, he's, like, objectively, like, a brown person. He will never only use salt and pepper in his cooking. But, anyways, 
the whole thing is like when you have a streamberry subscription you sign away your right to basically everything including like that they can use your life to create shows and so they're talking about how at the white house where there's multiple things happening strikes with the wider writers and actors who are making like uh, one actress, she's in Orange is the New Black. She has, like, the raspier voice. Have you seen Orange is the New Black? Yeah, yeah, but I can't remember. I don't remember her name exactly, but she has a very, like, well-known raspy voice. And she's, oh, the girl with the red hair? Yes. And she says, I made more in 1990 than I made last, not, last month. And that's because, like, nobody thought that Netflix was going to be the way of watching TV. And Orange is the New Black pays such small royalties to the actors and to the writers that they might make like a cent or two and their unions are not protecting them. So this is also a very real thing in aviation as well, is that like their unions are not protecting them from a world where we'll need less and less pilots in the cockpit. Because of AI. And truck drivers, like every middleman and definitely customer service. Like, right now, and I thought this was, like, not within this lifetime, customer service, like, every middleman outside of, like, very specific manual labor, like, I don't think mechanics are going to go out anytime soon, Um, but if your job can be replicated through writing or some form of, like, storytelling, you're kind of out of a job, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. I used in transportation chat GBT the Mm -hmm. other day Uh to help me write uh, a, a press release. <laughs> but ChatGPT doesn't sound like a human. Well, you I have, mean, you can humanize it. I what I do is like I'll have it uh, populate more than once, mm-hmm. and then I'll look at bits and pieces of it. So I don't use like the whole thing, but mm-hmm. I'll be like, okay, this is a good, this one's good. Well, kids are now using ChatGPT to write their college essays now too. Exactly. So that's that's another issue in itself is education we the kids have so many resources to cheat it's out like education like children are are getting dumber and dumber they don't have to do anything they don't have to learn anything because they have all of this technology it's like anytime they want to know how to do something they have the resource they can just learn it right then but that's why ipad kids terrify me because they're all like 13 going on 30 they know how to do everything everything and, and we're over here like, I don't know. Yeah. I have no clue. I learned how to write in cursive. <laughs> I'm that old. <laughs> I could do my division and multiplication tables. Yeah. It's like the, the terrifying reality of like, okay, we're going to do like the out loud multiplication tables. Mm-hmm. And it's like trying to figure out which mm-hmm. one I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, huh. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. And people were afraid of the Google Homes. Like, I swear to you, Google Home is not, like, taking your data. Like, maybe it'll help you, like, log into your Twitter faster. But Google is not about to turn around. Well, I say that. They are part of the conversations at the White House. Yeah. It's Google, Meta, Amazon, OpenAI, Microsoft, and I think there's two more companies that are willing to surrender rights to some of the data that they have um, in the name of privacy. But, I mean, you know that uh, Whole Foods is now allowing you to scan your palm. And really? so, 
like I saw it when I was there last week and then I read the article about it. Uh, you can scan your palm and then it automatically logs into your Amazon Prime account so it can charge that card on file and um, give you your points. Like you literally just beep and then you scan your stuff. Yeah, so like baggers are not a thing anymore. Oh, well, they, yeah, it's been ever since the self checkout thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and people are, like, usually, like, I want to get out of here faster. I don't want to chit-chat with somebody. You know, like, the human interaction is less and and less. less. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, like, grocery delivery. So not only is there, like, no use for checkouts, there's no use for human interaction, but you don't even have to leave your house. Well, Amazon definitely is, like, a huge front-runner to that with, like, in bigger cities. Did y'all have this in Boston? Like, two-hour delivery? Yeah. Not just, like, Whole Foods, but, like, they'll, like, have something come from, like, the warehouse. Actually, you know what? I've never... I don't think I've ever... I think I've bought, like, one thing. It's okay. It just surprised me because I was at Pride 2016 in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And 2016, uh, my brothers wanted to order some Pride flags, so they ordered at 8 a.m. And it was there by 10 a.m., like, before we even started our party. Also, I'm looking out into my backyard, and there are, like, robots that can lawn mow. Sort of like the Roomba, but lawn mowing. And I'm like, I mean, there are a lot of people who are going to pay for that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what I'm, what I'm saying. It's like, if we allowed technology to, like, progress, mm-hmm. we could, as human beings, like, just live. Mm-hmm. We just let robots do all of the the remedial work. And And the problem is that we live in a capitalist society. Right. So that kind of takes away the incentive to allow technology to take our jobs. Unless you're part of the 1% who's being protected. Right. Because the 1% is the ones who create the robots and they're being protected on a tax level and even as far as like a legal legislation level. So like that's why I think like a bipartisan democracy is like truly such a terrifying place to be is because like we don't have any regulation around how much money politicians can have in their pockets so you know Meta can turn around and give so and so a couple million dollars to vote in favor of allowing them to do whatever they want yeah it's it's all very corrupt and dishonest and it's not a reflection of what what people need and you just can't trust anything now and it's like our system is so so broken at this point it's like we would have to have a full-blown restart (laughs) that's why like i don't ever want to affirm a prepper because they come from like a far right-wing approach yeah but But at some point it's gonna have to happen not having water not having electricity like um everyone's like in the like pandemic craze of like maybe if I just stock up on like anything that I could possibly need I'll be good next time this happens you know um people are putting like extreme water filtration systems into their homes and like getting multiple generators um so I definitely don't think it's far away where like an extreme living condition is the only option Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it as far as living underneath the earth, but I definitely want to have an earth ship. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I'm like, as far as, like, the environment goes, it's like we're making the planet inhabitable, and then as far as our governments go, we're making everything in, inhabitable and impossible to... 
we can't afford anything. Well, you know how it is. Like, Memphis is actually getting very expensive. The fact that our cocktails are, like, $12 now blurs my mind. I mean, rent. Yeah. It's like, there's, you know, Memphis has got good and bad neighborhoods. And, um, I mean, like, I hear gunshots every night. And I live in a nice neighborhood Mm. because of my proximity to a main road. Mm -hmm. And I still have to pay an arm and leg despite the risk. My, My neighbor's house was shot. You know, like a bullet went through their through their house, and it's like that could have easily been mine. The house that we were for, um, no, that's not true. I was gonna say I, I saw this actually on the way to Rocks once that the house that was shot up um, where it was a FedEx pilot crash pad that was on the way to Rocks. Yeah, people are people's houses are just getting shot. I mean, yeah. the fact that guns are even like a thing. Blows my mind. I saw a video the other day of some people in Memphis with like machine guns walking down the street, walking down the street, you know, like shooting up a house and then running away in yeah. the middle of the day. Cars driving by, yeah. they're not wearing masks or anything, they're just like, whatever. Yeah, caught on somebody's like front door camera. Well, to your point, like, I'm even afraid of walking down the street because of like the people who have stolen a car and are just like blazing through red lights Mm -hmm. so before this truck Shay had a another truck that was like custom built and like very fancy but um in Michigan which is a no-fault state uh someone like pulled out in front of him hit him and then like his seatbelt motor that had a recall on it like it pulled so fast that like it caused a spark and then he jumped out of the truck and the truck burned down So it's a no-fault state, so, like, technically he has to pay for his own, like, getting T-boned. But, like, driving this truck now, not saying that it's going to catch on fire because everything's been sorted in terms of recalls on this new truck. But I'm like, anyone could pull out at any given second. And I'm not the type of person who wants to live in fear. But... I know. Very real fear. I think about it, like, it's one of the most dangerous places to drive now. Like, that's statistics. Mm. That's, like, a real thing. And, um... I don't know. It's like I have to make decisions about how I get home depending on the time of day. Mm -hmm. It's like if I go this way at this hour, there's a I run the risk of getting hit or shot. And it's like during the day, I, I don't even I'm like, it'll be it's fine. But if it's at night, I'm like, I probably need to go this way Mm. just for my own safety. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's what I have to think you about. you are a on... single woman as well. Right, and yeah. it's like, if I have to stop at a red light, yeah. and somebody pulls up next to me, yeah. or, you know, I'm just going to have to run the risk of running the light to get away from them, or whatever. Um, you know, I have to think about these kind of scenarios living in Memphis, because it happens all the time. Right. So, to end on a positive note, what are some <laughs> things you do like about living in Memphis? Because I'm still searching. Well, I mean, I think that the, the number one thing about Memphis is community. Right. Like, they, we have good people here. And we have a pretty diverse group. Yeah. Yeah. We have very different people. And um, I think that that's great. And, uh, you know, even though everything is, like, rock climbing <laughs> all the time. But... Um, I never thought that I would find friends here that's definitely like a thing that like still surprises me to this day it's like oh they're like genuinely nice people who are willing to help and like 
hang out and like you know aside from the like more like finite needs that I might have as an individual I find that it's still so nice to like be in a group chat yeah you know even though the group chat like keeps on getting bigger and bigger and like it feels scarier and scarier to even like say a single thing um it's still really nice because if somebody which I don't know if anyone would really say anything in that group at this point besides Jose like climbing today yeah (laughs) but um it's nice to like have familiar faces Mm-hmm. I think the, like, other part of it is that I'm also, like, okay, like, there's never a moment where I'm just, like, in my zone at the gym. I, like, can't get in my zone because someone's going to be, like, hey. Yeah, <laughs> I have the same problem because I, I worked there as the marketing person, yeah. and it was, like, everybody knew who I was. Everybody knew that I was doing the social media. So I was always taking everybody's pictures, and it's, like, I couldn't walk through the gym without bouncing around and talking to everyone and I still have that problem now because I know everybody so when I do go in the climb I'm mostly talking right yeah. totally yeah I think I've, it's a it's considered a successful climb if I do one single lead climb yep <laughs> yeah if I get one or two fine I don't care and it's like everybody else is like I need you know I got projects and I got you know like four mm-hmm. or five we've been here for two hours and I'm like you know like really wearing myself out and I'm like I People were climbing for four hours yesterday. Uh-uh. Girl, no. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's it's been really great, and I'm thankful for them. Uh, what's actually quite funny is that I was like, what should I do for my birthday? And I was like, I'm afraid to like ask anything because people might be like, well, there's no climbing. No, 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 no. I don't, don't worry about that. Birthday parties, yeah, you're good. I'm having a funeral. Death in my 20s. Oh, I was like, who is dying? No, 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 me. I'm dying. <laughs> my my birthday party is going to be a funeral. Are y'all going to wear black or pink? Yeah. All black, and you can wear, like, costumes, like witches, uh, zombies, vampires. Fun. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. Are you going to do it at your house? I really want to find, like, a cemetery or, like, an abandoned church or something. It might be a little illegal i was like that doesn't sound like we're not gonna not get in trouble exactly (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be so much fun she said that's the point well if you need a house we can do it here yeah um it's gonna be fun i love halloween it's like if i have an excuse to have two halloweens i will i like vintage or vintage like a a century home like a house that's like over 100 years old yeah like cool um those Victorian houses, mm-hmm. yeah, like the Woodruff Fontaine house or there are Molly Fontaine. Here. We could do Mo- Molly Fontaine. I've never been there. Oh yeah, That'd okay, be so cute. that's a good idea. But I also She's like, amazing. if I could get us into a cemetery, some like old creepy, like nobody monitors, kind of like in the middle of nowhere. But then I'm like worried about if people will want to drive out there. Yeah, it depends on where the cemetery is, right. for sure. There's not really any in the city that I would, you know, because you would get caught out there. So, yeah, so that's my uh, brainstorming about it. And I really, next month, I've really got to get it nailed, nailed down. Thank you for listening to Fleetwood. This is Kendall. And Rosalia. Bye.